Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. I'm joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. Hello. <laughs> Forgot the last name there for a second. It's okay. I found someone, I, I can't remember what podcast I was listening to, but there was like an offbeat part of their intro and it made me stop and go like, what's happening here? And I realized it makes you like, so if that worked, tweet me and let me you know. You do it differently every time a little bit. Yeah. I learned that trick a while ago and I've never revealed the trick because I want people <laughs> to be on their toes, but now I've... I, Two inside, I'm the magician, the rabbit in the hat. It's been in the hat the whole time. It's not not in there. Okay. <laughs> How you doing? Good. It's weird we're already at this point in the season, and we actually knocking on the wood here. If it's wood, it might be fake. I would like to watch the draft with the Phoenix Suns like involved. For, for It just feels like it's not been recent, which it definitely wasn't last year. What was the year before that? I don't even remember. Oh. That was the Landry pick, I believe. Yeah. That was Dayron Sharp year. Uh, yeah, that was finals year. Mm-hmm. So we're we're going to get in. This is going to be a full, I guess if there's going to be one podcast we do where it's going to be an off-season preview, this is going to be the one. We're going to hit on the draft Wednesday of next week, the day before the draft. We'll podcast as always a tradition now for seven years eight years running on the podcast however long it's been we're going to podcast after the draft yes even if the suns only take a player with the 57 second pick yes even if they don't use that pick and they do nothing we'll still be back to kind of recap things and then kind of look forward to okay chris paul's date if he's still on the team at that point and and so on and so forth but to begin uh, we are going to kind of use the mock off seasons that I did on the site uh, to forecast ahead and look at what the Suns are going to be able to do and what they need to get done. I teased this on the pod last week, and as you could tell, in the moment I was having an existential crisis on whether or not I really wanted to commit to doing it because it was one of those things where it only produced two pieces of content, but it took like 15, 20 hours of like sorting through a bunch of stuff and writing all the words. I committed. And I like the way that it turned out and it gave me a, it was a useful thing for me. And I'll get into that a bit later, but obviously it's an underwhelming exercise in terms of what I had the Suns end up with. We'll get to that more in a bit as well. What did you make of it to, to, to start? There's going to be people listening who didn't read it. I went through five off season scenarios based off of what the Suns do with Chris Paul and DeAndre. Ayton. so there's one where they wave and stretch Chris Paul and they trade DeAndre. Ayton. these various options open up avenues in free agency, or they really don't at all. And to give myself a little bit of a cheating edge, I did free agency for the Suns free agents first. So I was like, okay, I have Josh Akogi, I have Ish Wainwright, I have Saban Lee, I have Bismack Biombo and Jock Landale, so I have a base to go off of. And then I treated it as if Chris Paul and DeAndre weren't on the team initially because I think there were only two of those five scenarios where I kept one of those guys. And then I went through and did the free agent signings, did the trades, and looked at the best I, I could do with what I will admit are very low 
realistic expectations because on the realism, realistic kind of side, I tend to go lower than most. I know a lot of people are going to tend to go higher, and that's why a lot of people were turned off by the article. But so to take it there and, and set it off to you, you were just a, a, a observer, a, a, a vacation girly out there just enjoying <laughs> your, your free time and, and reading it. What did you think? I think the big takeaway is you have to do something, which I think we already conceptualize that in our heads, but like seeing it out, like all you showed all your work, right? Like it's all out there. And when you do do that exercise, it's not super, it's hard because it's like any team with Devin Booker and Kevin Durant's going to be fun to watch. But you look at the role players around them, it's not going to be super appealing, right? And so it's kind of like, okay, well, it's going to look a lot worse if you don't take any action here, right? So I I guess that's why I'm... You said you got reaction like people are just like, oh, who would do this? Why would you construct this roster? And it's like, well, that's... They, that looks better than the alternative of not I, I doing got, anything. Like, you are a horrible GM tweets, which I, I knew it was a mix of that kind of coming, but it was like, well, this isn't what I would, it is what I would do per se. But again, it was me without having any knowledge at all of like the front office workings and what the value of each player is and what I took a lot of liberties in free agency, I think, to be honest. Yeah. And it could wind up being that I took some liberties with the trades as well. We'll, we'll find out. We'll see what exactly they get. But to, to cast that aside, it's to your main point, right? That they, they have to, they cannot run it back. That is the no. first thing that they absolutely cannot do. I, I kind of knew that going in, like you said, but figure that out going in. Uh, did any avenue stick out to you more than others in terms of, because I wrote it in the second part. I think they have to trade DA now after doing it. I kind of felt that way anyway, but again, reinforced. I mean, it just seems like, I guess we should get the news nugget out there. Um, I believe Chris Paul was doing some media touring of his book that came memoir. out. Memoir. Memoir. Um, a lot about his grandfather, correct? Um, and, and said he'd he'd absolutely want to be back with Phoenix. Um, and obviously that is dependent on many things and the contractual situation we went over last time. But I... St- I still think he's valuable to this team. Um, I still think, like, if you get a nine-assist guy, that does... Look, I know he's older, but it does take stuff off KD and Devin Booker, too. So, I think that's why, like, I listened to Burns and Gamble yesterday, and it's like, we're just waiting for the Aiton trade. Like, we're doing this for the second summer in a row, and I think we're doing that because I think Chris Paul's still much more valuable in returning to this team than we think DA is. And is that correct? I'm not sure. Maybe we'll go into next season with Bismack Biombo and Jock Landale and we'll be like, oh, that's why DA was so valuable. I'm sure we will to some degree, but I think if you had to lose one of those guys, um, that's the one. And that's also if you the more tradable asset, um, the it in any case it's more money, right? Because he's still thirty mil. Um, and you get rotation players in theory back. So I don't know. Um, what, where, why did you ask me leading into this? I'm just going down this. Let's, let's restructure it a bit. And I have a proposition for you, sir. We're going to go through the five possibilities. Let's go through the five and we are going to start with, 
I'm not sure how to phrase how like what the word is we should use, like least plausible, least like the worst. I, I don't know if the worst is the is the right way to put it necessarily, but I learned a lot doing it and, and I'll kind of go through here. So here's option. We'll start here and, and we'll go like worst to best, I guess, quote unquote. But there are some that wind up with better. OK, whatever. I'll, I'll just go into it. <laughs> I think the worst is trading Chris and keeping DeAndre because I just don't think it's possible. I don't think you can really do it. And here's what I mean, guys. They would still be in a position where unless they traded Chris to a team that's going to eat cap space, that's something that Gambo has been talking about with DA. Like if you could unload DA to a team with the cap space now. This is a different proposition because you're talking about guys that make $30 million, not 10. So I believe there are only, as of right now, there are cap holds and stuff that teams have on. So they're going to be potentially maybe half a dozen to a dozen teams that have that kind of cap space coming up here. But for now, it's not a lot of teams. So let's rule that out that a team wouldn't just take on the salary, mainly for DeAndre, because Chris, I don't think the Suns would send him somewhere like San Antonio or somewhere else unless that's where he wanted to be and he was okay with going there. And I think the former is more important, where he wants to be. I think they'll send him where he wants to be, not even like a place he would be okay with. I think it's it's going to be less about that in the moment. We're at every time I get a Twitter notification, I have to check it now in the, in the podcast. I was just a coaching update from Shams. Moving onward. Keeping DA, trading CP3, like I was saying. So we're trading Chris Paul. At center, we've got DeAndre. We've got Kevin Durant on the wing, and we've got Devin Booker at guard. We need to have a starting wing. We need to get a starting point guard. We need to get a third guard off the bench, a.k.a. the first guard off the bench, and the third guard in the rotation overall. And we need a number one wing off the bench as well. And again, we're talking about just the veterans minimum and then trading Chris. I don't even think you can get started here, really, in terms of finding the point guard first. And, and what I mean by that is I, I look through the teams. Kyle Lauer in Miami, like, I, I don't know, like, that's redundant, it feels like. Would Utah take on, would, he, would Utah even do a deal for Colin Sexton? Would Orlando even do a deal for Markel Fultz? I'm not sure, but Chris wouldn't want to go there anyway, so it doesn't really matter. I looked at Indiana and I was like, oh, like TJ McConnell, we've talked about a bit. A Buddy Hill's expiring. There's a shooter. I've got two spots filled. Oh, wait. He's the point guard, and now Tyrese Halliburton's off the ball. That's a horrible idea because Tyrese Halliburton's awesome and one of the best point guards in the league already. I looked at the Golden State Jordan Poole thing and was like, that was before Woj's report that apparently, I'm sure, yes, Chris would consider playing for the best franchise in the league right now or one of the best franchises in the league right now. Anyway, San Antonio, I mentioned as well. The one place where I did make some groundwork, I think, was the Clippers. But that would require the Clippers giving up Norman Powell or Terrence Mann, probably more likely Norman Powell. And I don't think they would, knowing that there's a good chance that the Suns will be in a position where they have to waive him anyway, if they just say no to trades. So I, I didn't get anywhere. Even if you were able to trade him for, let's say you trade him for Jordan Poole. Let's say you do that, right? You've got Book, Poole, Durant, veterans minimum guy on the wing, a veterans minimum guy, third guard, veterans minimum guy on the wing. Behind this, those two wings, I don't, it's not enough. It's still a lot of running back, like, because then you would just have to fill, you'd have to resign a Kogi, you'd have to resign ish, like, 
and they would have to play minutes, heavy minutes. Not great. <laughs> Not great. Option number two. Again, we're working our way up. Again, I go back to keeping DA. Uh, wave and stretch Chris, keep DA. Waving and stretching Chris Paul, that would open up the $12.2 million non-taxpayer mid-level exception in free agency, and then the $4.5 million biannual exception. Okay, we wave and stretch Chris, and we're keeping DeAndre. A big wild card in all of this, I should mention here that I did two wild cards I did not mention here, though. I think we're going to talk about to wrap up the podcast because it goes more into like the news we're looking at that's coming in and the news that's coming in the next week. One is sign-and-trades. I did not go into sign-and-trades at all. They are extremely complicated. You get hard capped if you acquire the player that is signed and traded. And I just like that. That's too many hoops to go through. It would have to. We'll get into it. Second is trading Landry Shamit. I just took it as Landry would have no value and you would not be able to attach two second round picks to him and, and get someone back because I think the problem is. Think of a contract a team would be OK with getting off of for $10 million. It's on three or four years as opposed to one. That's a guy who doesn't play. That's basically Landry anyway. Yeah. Now, if we're talking about Terry Rozier, who I used in here, I think that makes a little bit more sense. Like, could you do Shamit, Payne, and two second-round picks or whatever for Rozier? I still don't think so, but that's more of like getting into the ballpark. I think that's more of what we're kind of looking at is some very optimistic... I think that's being too optimistic, but that's a very optimistic scenario. But I didn't get into that. I just traded Shamit like... He's here unless he's attached to Chris or DeAndre, which I got to in one of these exercises. So with that in mind, we need a guard. We need a point guard because we, again, we're working with replacing Chris Paul. I signed Gabe Vincent to the yeah. mid-level. Yeah. Not sure he's leaving Miami. Are you, are you more into him leaving Miami or more into him as a starting point guard? Both. Ooh. Is he a starting point guard? How much stuff, like, does he create much? He can shoot. Defends okay. He's only being talked about because they can't afford anything, right? Like, I, I get he's a tough guy and whatever, but... Meh. Does that make you a better team? It makes you float, like, in losing Chris Paul. Because the main... The main move that you are making in that world is changing out Chris Paul for Gabe Vincent because yeah. you're not trading DA you're using the biannual which we'll get to in a minute and that's Minton again does he does I, he even push to get I mean mid-level here's here's the thing I think that they got screwed a bit here um something that I will do blindly I'm going to guess that the 2024 for Asian class is going to be a lot more kind to them than the 2023 class in terms of guys that would take the MLE because it's a top-heavy class. So we've got Kyrie and Fred VanVleet at the top. They're never taking the MLE. I don't even think you could get D'Lo for the MLE. No. I don't think so. And then after that, there's a huge drop. I think Gabe is the next guy that kind of ranks there. And then you've got Patrick Beverly. You should not give him that. Russell Westbrook, you should not give him that. Dennis Schroeder, you should not give him that. Javon Carter, you should not give him that. Trey Jones is an RFA anyway. Io DeSumo is someone I would give that, but he's an RFA. Reggie Jackson, no. Dennis Smith Jr. and now we're way down the list. That's the problem with like even the jump between biannual to non-taxpayer mid-level yeah. is the 
who's available, the gap isn't really there where it's just like, you might be able to get these guys. I mean, that could end up being helpful where it's like, oh, like a Kogi, I didn't think would, well, we thought he'd be a biannual last year and he mm-hmm. turned out to be just men. So, so something to understand about free agency and, and this kind of weird zone with the MLE and why I believe they could get Gabe Vincent is because after the MLE, you're pretty much only looking at teams that have salary cap space or the team that you are on. Yeah. And those are the only teams that can pay you above that amount, essentially, because, again, he, once well, you get into that cap, like on the, and, and the Heat are in a dangerous position where they've I think they're They're going to have to pick between Vincent and Struess. I don't think they can bring back both. Yeah. And it's, it's a matter of like maybe they get one of them in the in that in between of 12 million and what, five, six, where they get good value. They get a multi-year deal. But yeah, that's that's why it's kind of hard to project, especially with those two guys. It's going to be one or the other probably on the market even. So I wrote about that a little bit in here, and then I brought up Nas Reed as another possibility where I think that he should get more than the MLE, but there could be a, is he going to get $17 million from or $16 million from Minnesota, $14 million, $18 from a team with cap space, or would he rather just take the MLE from a really, really good team? Um, the thing I wrote on him since I'll, I'll just get to him now, we'll talk about him more next week when we're talking about for agents and stuff, but, uh, he would need to be the rim protector. And I think that he's a very, 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 I think he's one of the best offensive centers in the league. I'll, I'll say that right now. I think that he's one of the best offensive centers in the league defensively. I just don't know enough. I haven't seen enough of him to be like, yes, he could be your primary rim protector too. Just size wise. He's not. Like Jokic is going to roll through him. I mean, that's easy to say, I guess. But like, ideally, you honestly sign him and then get a better Bismack Biombo, and you have a guy who's playing twenty minutes per game that's out there for defense, and then you mainly yeah. bring in Reed as like your sixth man, essentially. Yeah, I think that's his destiny on a team like this, at least that needs an anchor. But there's going to be another team where it's more of you can be an offensive hub of sorts for us. You can be a lesser version of Bam offensively, at least, or, or about equal version. Honestly, I think like offensively is just about as good as Bam. Yeah, I said it out loud. I did that. <laughs> What's up? The biannual is another one where I, I think with point guards, you can make a case that there's going to be a year where there's three or four or five guys at the mid-level and you could talk yourself into like, yeah, it's a pretty good class for us to go through. That's just not going to happen on the wing because what happens is when guys are good on the wing, or even competent, or even mildly okay, teams resign them and give them twelve million dollars a year. Yeah, like Max Struess is going to get at least the mid level, if not more, because he can really shoot. He's a okay defender. That's it. What did Duncan Robinson? What's he getting paid annually? And that was like a year or two ago, and yeah. he doesn't really play as much defense as Struess. Like, just the shooting portion is worth. You're pushing twenty, mm. and if you play a little defense, yeah. So looking at the mid-level and the biannual, which are, or sorry, the taxpayer mid-level, which is five, and then the biannual, which is four and a half. Uh, we'll get to the taxpayer in a bit. I use Dylan Brooks in a later example we'll get to. You got Jay Crowder. I think Kelly Oubre is going to be an MLE guy as opposed to a taxpayer. We'll see. Tory Craig. Joe Ingles is someone that I think kind of actually fits, but not in this specific part he would be great off the bench if you didn't need him to really be your primary defender yeah. on a on a ball handler 
Uh, Watanabe is someone that Hollinger said it makes sense a lot on the minimum for Phoenix. I agree, but that's the point in the list we're getting to already. So I, in this situation, when I needed to start another wing, I brought in Josh Richardson. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, which one of those is closer to biannual versus men, though? Is Josh, Josh Richardson still young and young and hip? Yeah. So the and then the, and the, those are the two scenarios where I just don't I don't see those happening. The other three I could see um, that is wave and stretch Chris Paul. So we're talking about the MLE and the biannual again, and then you trade DeAndre Ayton, so you get two to three players mm-hmm. for him as well. And then the other two as well are cr- trade Chris Paul and trade DeAndre Ayton. I think trading Chris Paul in terms of again we're talking about like the best or worst. This suffers in the realism category because i'm not sure chris would go to the east coast i'm not sure he would go to the central or the mountain time zone i'm sure he's going to stay in the pacific time zone anyway but in that case i traded both of them and then i think the best work that i did was waiving and vet veterans minimum giving uh chris paul the veterans a minimum after waiving him which opens up the taxpayer mid-level exception and then i traded um, DeAndre Ayton in those kinds of scenarios. I think all three of those hinge on what you can get for DeAndre Ayton, and I've said this a couple of times in the last couple of weeks on shows, and I've probably said it here. The biggest X factor in their entire season is DeAndre's, or not in their entire season, their entire offseason, is DeAndre's trade value. There's uh, rumor noise, I guess I'll put it as that, on Kyle Kuzma interest from the Suns. Would the Suns, would the Wizards take on Aiton's salary like that? I had them doing it, but in a, we're going to give up a couple of nickels and a couple of dimes basically for him. We're not going to give up Kyle Kuzma uh, for him specifically. They have to do the Beal stuff first too, I would think. They would have to. So Indiana, it's like, yeah, Miles Turner and TJ McConnell, that would be awesome. Yeah. I just don't really, I'm not really sure. Portland, which has been shut down by Gambo. There was like you were looking at Simons and and Nurkic. Um, The Timeline guys, I used their podcast to to help me kind of forecast trades. And I went through a lot of the teams or not a lot of teams, all the teams myself. And then kind of had a list of like 15 trades guys down to three or four or whatever. And then the three or four that I used were the ones that they they had gone through. But some of the teams they mentioned were Boston uh, for DeAndre. Boston, I think, makes sense in terms of they want to shift things and change things up, but they have Robert Williams and Al Horford. They would need to get rid of at least one of those guys, probably both. I wouldn't understand playing. I I guess you could play Horford and Aiton together and then play Al as more of a four because of how well he can shoot now. Defensively, I don't know if that works at all. I don't don't think so. I think we've kind of learned our lesson now with the Minnesota experiment that even if a guy has perimeter skills, that doesn't mean you should play two centers together. But if they want to just like completely offload Al and, and get rid of Rob Williams in one trade, send the Suns Al Horford. Like, yeah. yeah. Or if they want to trade him, send him Marcus Smart or Malcolm Brogdon. Yes, of course. Um, but I tended to go on like the lower scale. So the three deals I came up with were Charlotte. That was Rozier, Cody Martin, and the 34th pick in the draft. I did um, Atlanta. Capella, Sadiq Bay, salary filler. And then I did Washington, which was Gafford, Monte Morris, and Corey Kispert. I really wanted the third guy to be Denny Abdia. Mm-hmm. Uh, our pal, our Australian correspondent, David, did a big thread a couple months ago about Abdia as like a potential target at the deadline. 
I think he's one of the core. Washington doesn't have a lot of core pieces at the moment, but I believe he is one at this point. So it felt like too much to ask out of them. So I went lower and I went Kispert instead. But Abdiel would be perfect. Dave and I were DMing about it. And I told him, like, just if they could get a connector who can really defend, that's perfect for the other wing spot, basically. Like, yes, he could shoot, you would hope, but that's more so what I'm looking at. Did any of those three trades stick out to you? What what did you take away from them? What they need to get in an eight and trade, so on and so forth. I liked Washington because I think at this point it's hard to judge what they're doing. So I guess that we can throw out the window of like, oh yeah, they're going to pair him with Brad Beal and try to make the playoffs or whatever. Like they're fine. Like they, if they offload Brad Beal, they're they're probably not going to be good. They're going to be rebuilding. And you can take time with him and, and develop him on a bad team and see where you go from there. Um, I don't think the Hawks, like, I like the Hawks trade for the Suns, but I just don't understand because they have a Kongwu, and I just don't know why they double up with him and a Kongwu for mm-hmm. no reason. And I assume their their books are pretty tight already. Um, so I don't know about that one. Donovich was a fake trade yeah. candidate in there as well. I saw one fake trade that had like them getting Bogdanovich for Shamit, which was wild to me. Um, Bogdanovich should be one of the guys that they're targeting this offseason, in my opinion. Yeah. Regardless of it. If his knee is not absolutely bad. Yeah. If his knee isn't cooked and you can get him in a three team deal somehow, or, or, or if there is Shamit interest on the market and you can toss his salary in there to make it work money wise. What, what do you think about bad teams like Orlando? San Antonio just you, see I think Wendell Carter is this is where I went with Orlando I just think Wendell Carter might be better yeah and he's just as young and he's costs three times less yeah <laughs> it's a problem a lot of this has to do with my core evaluation of DeAndre Ayton with where he is at as a center I've said in the past that I thought he was a top five center in the league and but after this year I think he's outside he's maybe outside of the top 10 you said that after the finals run probably I said it after even last year, I think, that he's borderline top five center, but now he's outside of the top ten with how prominent his issues were I think, this year. I think I would call San Antonio and just say, hey, I hear you have the number one pick. I'm not saying trade, yeah. But you you could pair Aiton with Wemby or something. You just uh, Suddenly you become like, there's no one scoring on that team. You don't want Wemby to go through the uh, physical wear down of playing center immediately. No. You want to put him next to a five for at least the first, like during his rookie deal. And then once he matures into his body, that's when you play him at the five. Yes. A exactly. la Chet in OKC. Bender and Phoenix. Chris and Bender and Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, like that, that's one where it's like, if I could just pry... I don't even know who's on the roster, honestly, beyond sell and stuff like that. I don't know if that would be even on the table, but maybe. Um, because, like, that team, Pop, I Pop's already spent his years as his career is probably winding down not coaching great teams, and I know, like, they'll probably be very exciting and better with Wemby, but if you can bolster that roster with... A solid rotation dude who you know at one point in time was maybe top five center and and help that dude out and just make that interior really good i don't know that's that was one that kind of in my brain i was like i don't know they should probably make calls though 
They should. Um, I liked the Charlotte trade. Yeah. I think that it's very unappealing to people at first glance, but Terry Rozier can really score. He takes over eight threes a game, and he shot 36, 37% on them. That's right around where Struess is as well. Yeah. And something to For understand is guy, yeah. the value alone in having one of those guys just gets your three-point attempts up, which is very good. That's a really good thing, and that's something they need more of after last year. But two, when you're taking that amount, that means there's pull-ups involved. There's running around screens. There's high, heavily contested threes. Like Steph is the best three-point shooter of all time, and some people look at his percentages sometimes. They're like, oh, he shot 38% or whatever. There's 27 guys that shot better than him this year or whatever. It's like, ah, no. Like, if anyone else took the shots that Steph did, they shoot 27%. Yeah. <laughs> like it. And, so, like, Rogier, I don't know his rep from Charlotte because Charlotte's just been bad, but like he was on good Celtics teams. Like he's at that point in his career, he's probably like, I will, I will play the hardest defense if you get me off this team yes. and you put me. Yeah, like I, I I'm not worried about that. Though. I wrote it as his next team is going to tell us what he is. Yeah, because we can't judge him off Charlotte. We know there's some some promise from Boston, but his next team will be like, okay, like are you going to be in the league for the next decade? He's very much on the like Bledsoe track. Well, Bledsoe had his early Clipper days, I guess, but. Yeah, when he he left the Suns and went to the Bucks, and it's like, oh, that guy. And and then Cody Martin's good. I think people read that name and they just assume he's like a throw-in, but it's like, no, he's a he's actually a three and D wing. No, they think he's exactly like his brother. Yeah. Oh, that's true. They they probably actually (laughs) think that first. No, you're totally right. So I had it as they signed Patrick Beverly just because I needed to have a starting point guard still because I wasn't sure if Rozier's defense was good enough. But if they believed in Rozier's defense enough and started him, then yeah, sure, that 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 works for me. And having him as a third score, I think that kind of goes into uh, a point that Burns and Gambo has been talking about and that we've been, I didn't get into in the pieces by any means, but it's the challenge of, I think the biggest challenge for them is can you not only build a supporting cast around Durant and Booker, but can you do one where the third, fourth, and fifth guys are still extremely reliable and consistent and pretty good. And so to go through those examples, I think in the second one, I would argue the my third best player is Rozier, which I don't think is, again, I don't think that's that bad. When, no. when you have two top 10 players, is he a top 60, 70 player in the league? Like, eh, maybe. Struess? Is your fourth best guy a just high volume shooter? And then after that, I'm not really sure who it is. I, it's probably Cody Martin. But then you've got Beverly, Akogi, and then I traded um, the 34th pick from Charlotte because Charlotte has a glut of. I think they have four picks between 27 and 41. Huh. It's funny. I, I I have a column coming next week that I got ahead on, and the, the way I wrote it is. Teams just trade for future picks so much, and then the draft comes. They're like, oh, <laughs> we have like nine of these, and we need to get rid of four of them. Like OKC with the Denver thing, we'll, we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, I, I drafted uh, our friend, our pal, the Aaron Holiday test. Oh. I think he passes with flying colors, Kev. It's, it's Jaime Hawkes Jr. Jaime? 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 It's Jaime, right? It's, it's spelt Jamie, but you do not say Jamie. No. And you say Hakez. I know it's Hakez, but I mean, he would be a good role player. He needs to go to a good team. Yeah. So I'm counting him in this scenario as one of the seven or eight guys that plays. I'm not sure about your fifth best player, like I said, but then to go to the trading both guys front, I wind up with Harris as a third best player and, and Capella as your fourth best player. Not bad. 
Not terrible. I liked that trade a lot, by the way, because the Tobias was Harris it? deal that was in the Atlanta trade scenario. Is that yeah. right? Paired those together. Uh, it was Chris Paul and Landry Shaman for Tobias Harris, and Tobias Harris is extremely criticized because mm-hmm. he makes thirty nine, forty million dollars a year. Got the max when he's just a a good to pretty good NBA wing. But again, you just can't get those in the league right now. So he'd be great next to those two guys. Spacer can defend well enough. Um, just don't then, put him in a spot where he has to like bail you out because Philly ran, runs into too many situations where Harden's in La La Land and they have to have Tobias Harris do perimeter stuff because Max yeah. is still figuring it out. And it's just like, uh, Anyway, I liked that deal because you got him and then you got Capella, which is like a high-level replacement center, and then you don't worry about Biombo Landale playing too many minutes. And you also got Sadiq Bey, who, as we know, Kevin loved Sadiq Bey time. Didn't you? You do? What? You said Kevin does. I do, yeah. personally. Oh, you do? Not other Kevin. I thought you were talking about Kevin Durant Who first, and the then best. I was like, are you talking about Sadiq Bey? I don't remember you loving Sadiq <laughs> Bey. And Sadiq Bey, by the way, in Detroit, kind of turned into I'm going to score guy. Yeah. Gunner guy, and it's not that great. Uh, last scenario, Booker and Durant, and then your third best player is probably still Chris Paul, which I think is fine. And then we've got Brooks taking the MLE. Do we talk high about level, uh, high level? We'll get into it more next week. High level defender can score still. Um, not the best shooter. And I saw Sam tweeting this morning, and he's got a point that there's some uh, similarities to a Kogi, where you're kind of doing the same thing. It's like, yeah, they need another good perimeter defender. <laughs> yeah. Get another one. Gafford, I just think, is a starting level center at this point yeah. and is really good. And I think Monte Morris is a starting center, a starting point guard on a bad team, which is what he is right now. And he's more like the best backup point guard in the league and what is what he sh- should continue to be. And that's where I got there. So I, I think that even in my for people listening at this point still who are very doom and gloom after listening to this, I did this with very, very probably being too realistic and too unkind to the Suns and still got to a point where I wound up with like two or three rosters where the last two we read, especially or the, the, the previous three we read, I think that's a team that wins 55, 60 games to be clear. <laughs> Cause yeah. Kevin, it's Kevin Durant, Devin Booker we and keep forgetting, a handful yeah. of good players. I, I had to keep reminding myself and I wrote it at the end of the last one. Like, Hey, remember they have two of the 10 best players in the league. And that's what this whole thing is about. Um, but yeah, I, I I came through optimistic after doing this. I was talking about it for a couple of months now and be like, I don't know, I don't know how they do this. I can see how they do it. It's still incredibly difficult. I'm not ba- re um backing backpedaling on that, but it's just weird because it's resetting all of the problems, right? Like we won't really even when we see it on paper after the next few months happen, I think we're going to have to reset and be like, okay, I don't even know what the expectations of this team are because it's going to just look so different, right? And I, that's where this exercise also goes is, man, like we're going to – hopefully we won't have the, what, fourth postseason in the row where they're like, they don't have enough guys to dribble. And we won't go through all that and say they won't have enough three-point shooters like maybe those things will be fixed but then there will be a lot of other things that pop up um so it's just obviously a hard reset 
draft is next week. Yeah. We'll talk about this more on Wednesday, but I'll get to it now. Rehashing stuff we talked about last year for sure, but something that Ishbia has done so far is there are places where he can spend money, but there are rules in place that limit how much money he can spend. I've joked about salary caps for coaches and stuff. That doesn't exist. So he could have offered David Fisdale $30 million. He could have (laughs) offered him $70 million to come in and coach or whatever. He obviously did not do that. But Woj in his reporting pointed out Kevin Young, highest paid assistant now. And then I, he like a a fine, a a significant financial play, I think is how we put it for Fisdale. So it should be a paying up where he can. And another place where he can pay up is, is buying second round picks. Yeah. They could trade for a late first round pick. Uh, Sam Bassini, friend of the show. I don't know. Sam and I are Twitter pals at the very least. I've been on his show before. Friend of the show. We'll do it. Sure. Uh, He works his butt off every year to make this humongous big board that we reference pretty much every podcast since he's been doing it. And we'll probably reference it next week when they pick a guy 52nd that you and I didn't know existed until they picked him. And then we're going to act like we knew who he was the whole time and break down his game for 12 minutes. We'll watch a YouTube video of him and then we'll get it all sorted out because that's how the draft normally goes when you're not a psychopath like me for the last seven years who who actually was watching jamari bouye tape (laughs) you know uh he reported the suns are among three teams that he's hearing that are looking around sniffing around the late late first round early second round seeing what's popping over there what's going on over there how's it going late first round pick that would be more uh i think that would have to be a could you get it for shaman and a bunch of i don't know you would have to take back bad money for Shaman, I think. I don't know. Maybe campaign slides in there. Yeah. Maybe a team would take campaign. I'm not really sure. That would have to be what it would uh, boil down to for a late first. I looked through the history, Kevin, of trading, buying second round picks, I should say, on draft night. It does not happen as often as you think. I only found two in the last five or six years, but there was just one last year where the Lakers traded a... Uh, Future second rounder, I believe, for a 2028 second round picks, like when they're supposed to be terrible in hindsight. And then uh, $2 million, $2.15 million for number 35. And then Golden State did it for Eric Pascal in 2019. Uh, it was $1.3 million in their 2024 second rounder for number 41. So there is some precedent there. And the Suns would be especially wise to go back to the MLE thing and all that kind of stuff with the point guards about how, oh man, maybe not the best year to do it. This is the year to be one of these teams and try to get into this range. And what I mean by that is I was scrolling through Vecini's mock and there are a lot, like a lot of three, four year players, especially on the wing who have NBA ready skills right now. And there is absolutely without a shadow of a doubt. Again, I have not watched these guys, scouted these guys, whatever. But I just know based on how the draft works and how Sam was detailing all of his uh, scouting reports on some of these guys, that three or four of these guys are going to be good rotation players almost right away. There's just a dozen to 18 of them, and it's picking out which one, and that's the allure of this part. But this is something the Suns have to be at least aggressive in, Kevin, if not do. Because with the exercise we just went through, every scenario feels like they're a player or two short. And this is how you get a player. The one problem, as I'm looking at this list of who drafts where, there aren't a lot of really good teams that have draft picks where they could just say, okay, we can take a rotation player like 
campaign or sham it and use him and give you our draft pick, maybe packages the 52 and a player to move up. Like, last five picks, Indiana, Charlotte, Utah, Indiana, Clippers. Clippers are only one there who are like, eh, they probably don't necessarily need that pick. Um, and they honestly might think they do just to round out and get depth on the roster. There's only one OKC pick, like 37. Like, they could get rid of it there are many second rounders but that's they have two i think that i see um it, it doesn't look like super easy to move up just based on who's at the back end of the first round so that's something to look at too i guess one possibility is that we saw this with ty jerome right and how there's that four-year deal standard deal that picks are on it includes team options that come into play but it becomes it becomes it's guaranteed for at least two years i believe it i believe that's the standard is that the first two years are always guaranteed regardless maybe there's like a way to navigate in there where a team just wants to take on campaign cut him and then they avoid that second year for tax reasons maybe they're just absolutely not interested in having another guaranteed contract beyond next year even if it's for two million dollars or whatever i'm not really sure maybe maybe that's a way to get in regardless some of those names for example we mentioned Hawkes already that that sam kind of outlined there's colby jones who's another wing out of xavier there is brandon oh here's a kellen saying a name out loud that he's never heard before and he gets <laughs> to try and say it podziemski Podziemski oh, out oh, of santa from, clara yeah. six four wing not an athletic bone in his body, but boy, can that boy shoot that thing, apparently, is what I read. And I, I love that kind of stuff where it's like, he he can't move, but he's really good at basketball. And I'm like, oh, yeah. They did that with the bad hips guy already with Cam Johnson. Signed me up. I love it. Ben Shepard, 6'5", 22-year-old wing out of Belmont. Andre Jackson, Connecticut, was one of the three guys. I, I wrote down three guys that like I'm going to watch yeah. going into the draft, and he's one of them because gr- great athlete incredible glue guy but just like doesn't score or shoot <laughs> like he, he doesn't he doesn't have creation skills he's like an okay shooter shooter but is just incredible in all the other areas marcus sasser out of houston remember him very very good defender can pull up shoot a little bit but just is he a starting point guard is he too small all that kind of stuff jordan miller was vicini's today's mock draft miami i, I actually looked at him a lot for some other mock draft a few weeks ago. He's kind of like Jackson out of Connecticut, right? Yeah, like good athlete, a lot older, I believe, but good athlete, can shoot. Um, he turns 24, I think I read. dribble stuff at least, line drive. So a lot of Cam Johnson things maybe, and obviously James Jones probably watched every single one of those games in probably live um, as they went deep in the tournament. So, yeah, I mean, that... Like, if he's projected in multiple mocks to go 52nd, like, that's the thing, too. It's like, maybe you just hold and you don't even need to move up. You actually get a rotation player at 52. That's risky, but you never know. There's some great money ball players in here. And what I mean by that is, is Jonah Hill's running through the tape to Brad Pitt, and he's like, look at this guy. He can't throw to second, but watch him at the plate. He's amazing. And then, like, the end of the movie where he shows the guy who trips because he's he's large but he can swing the heck out of the bat. There's the Kevin Euclid tape where he's like, no one takes him seriously because of this weird stance. Look at him go. I think he's going to win a batting title. And Joan Hill was right. Kobe Brown out of Missouri is a larger 
um, in terms of he would have to really get his physical shape up kind of in, in um, not Montrez. Who am I thinking of? There was someone who was like this like five or six years ago and they indeed like transformed their body. Nas was in fact one of them. Nas Reed was one of them where he had to get his conditioning up and he did. But undersized big man had an incredible spike in his three point shooting percentage this year, like went up like 15% or 20% or something. Uh, Vassini believes in it. He saw like legitimate changes in his stroke and everything can pass the ball a bit, can do dribble initiator stuff a little bit as a big can kind Dudley. of move his fit a bit feet a bit but is he like a small ball five at six six when he can't really for sure switch i don't know but he does basketball stuff jalen pickett out of penn state is a six two power guard who mostly posts up i don't know about that see billy bean this is what he does this this is jalen pickett he's the best post scorer in the draft but he's six two and a guard (laughs) i don't know i have no idea uh seth lundy undersized wing at Penn State but can shoot the thing and do smart basketball stuff Julian Strother just reminds me of Cam Johnson a little bit Uh, 6'6 swing out of Gonzaga can really shoot do a little bit of dribble stuff there are movement concerns athleticism concerns that we can go through and and there are a couple of other guys Uh, Jalen Clark out of UCLA is another one that you and I he passed the Aaron Holiday test for me he he looks like the best defender in the draft to me yeah Um, two UCLA guys passing the Aaron Holiday test together wow look at that not Amari Bailey Nope. Okay. Nope. Maybe like how he looked in the tournament? Maybe? (laughs) No. Don't think so. The point is, we'll get into more of those guys next week and talk about them a little bit more in depth once once I'm going to watch back more. But there are a lot. There are 12, 14 guys. And I ran through, to be clear there, I was reading some names that were in the 40s and the 50s. Yeah. So I think the ideal week for them next week is... The 52nd pick, I think people need to realize, is that's when the draft really, really, really starts to drop. And at that point, two-way guys are already agreeing to contracts with other teams and are telling teams in the 50s, don't draft me. I've already agreed to go somewhere else. Like, don't do it. And it's kind of become a... Weird zone. It's a weird zone, but also a unspoken... It seems like every team has agreed, like, we won't mess with you on your two-way guys when you agree to them. If you won't, like, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's strange. Like, why didn't a team just say, no, okay, see, you can't have mm-hmm. Lou Dort. We're going to draft him. I no, would like him. No, Los Angeles. You can't have Austin Reeves was more of a debatable undrafted guy than Dort, but a team should have drafted yeah. Austin Reeves. They didn't. And then he was the third best player on a team that made the Western Conference Finals. So I, um, I, I think that they, a stellar night for them would be getting a pick in the late 20s early 30s mid 30s late 30s somewhere in there just the first half of the second round honestly uh and then having one of their and then being aggressive with the two ways which is something we shouted from the rooftops for the last two years that they have not done they probably will do that now i have confidence in the spending spending a little mill here a little mill there when you're rich you spend a little mill here a little mill there that's how i would do it if i was rich we were contemplating um, why exactly that was happening necessarily. And then uh, we have to remind ourselves of talking about the draft and we will next week about that magnum opus from ESPN from the Suns <laughs> that left us utterly bewildered. But the two ways, there's a flood of them right after the draft. And again, most of these are happening during the draft. But right after the draft, some of the top undrafted guys immediately get signed like they do in the NFL, like they do in any other draft. But they get signed to two-way deals. And the Suns pretty much have never gotten in on that 
action and instead either don't sign two-way guys right away or they wait a bit and don't get one of those guys um, that are some of the marquee names like Dort, like Reeves. There have been a couple in the past um, as well. I believe the Caleb Martin was a two-way guy as well, if I remember. Cody was the one who got was the twin, uh, the brother who got drafted. And then Caleb, yeah. I believe, went, went undrafted and got a two-way. Um, and How many... How many rotation players from the draft do they need to get? Like, do you think they oh, need just, two just, bodies? Just one. Do you think just one? I think just one. I think they need to go bigger. I think I think a veterans minimum That'll take market care of is, is pretty good. And yeah. they're, they'll be able to get at least one guy where we're like, oh, wow. That's why I kind of went crazy. I said, like, yeah, Dennis Smith on the veterans minimum. Schroeder on the veterans minimum. Uh, I tried. I, I I mentioned that I tried to pitch Yaka Purdue. He's probably going to get at least like ten million a year. <laughs> or uh, Mason Plumley or uh, who was the third guy? Dwight Powell. Who are all going to get way more money than the veterans minimum? And just like, hey, you can start on a championship contending team. What do you think? I th- I think they'll find a way. But but no. To answer your question, I think this is pretty much the formula and what I kind of got into in the that I didn't get into in the mock off season, but whatever you do with Chris produces a player that is one of your four or five best. So you either stretch and wave him, mm-hmm. sign a guy to the MLE who's one of your four or five, but who's a starter? Let's just put it that way. Starter. You trade him, you get back someone who starts for you. You wave and vet men him. He's back. He's your starter. You trade DeAndre for two to three players, one being a starter, one being a key reserve, and one being a, yeah, sure, guy. Corey Kispert, yeah, sure. yeah. Yeah, sure. The 34th pick, yeah, sure. And then you get two guys on the veterans minimum who are at least going to factor into your rotation at the start of the year. So if you're at, you have a 10-11 man rotation at the start of the year, it's two of those guys. And then one, and then you get the one in the draft. So that's for me. Yeah. So it's Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, the guy from the Chris Paul thing. That's three. The two, the f- the fifth starter. Five or sorry, the, yeah. Correct. Couple vet mins that are good. And then get one guy from the draft, and that's eight right there. And then all the other vet mins, you hope they pan out well. Yes. It was do like they did it last year. Like when you think about it, like they got a couple like very capable rotation guys, Damian Lee, Kogi. Um, Bismack's been on it, right? Biombo Landale. Landale is one of those trades again. Like that was a trade. Yeah, it's just we didn't really talk about it because we didn't know when he got traded. I was like, that's the Australian guy, right? And yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't know who John Landale is... was, and now we're very familiar with him, and he's a a good basketball player who I still think has a bit of untapped potential to go. And he seems to, not that he seems to agree, but when we talked to him about his role towards the end of the year, I could tell that he was like kind of chomping at the bit to like show what he has and be like, I, yes, I can sprint up and down the floor. Yes, I can bang bodies with everyone, but I am a skilled man at basketball. Weekend plans? What's up? No. No. You? Are you going on vacation vacation or are you just taking a vacation day next week? I'm going to see if I can find Belmont games on YouTube. Okay. 
<laughs> you know me, baby. You know where we live. Eight years ago, I was watching Frank Nielakina tape at a D-backs game, and Luke Lipinski looked at me like I was a psychopath, and we've never looked back since. Mm-hmm. All right, everyone. We'll be back next week. Like I said, Wednesday, we will podcast Primer for the Draft. Uh, I will have looked into a couple of guys, like I said. You will as well. And I we'll guess kind of I have to now. Yeah, favorites. So look stupid. Ah, you're going to have time around here, dude. There's nothing else. There's a really good baseball <laughs> team, and Buda Baker's tweeting whatever. <laughs> You'll find the time. And we'll see what happens until that. I think we didn't even mention it, but I mean, it'll be rumor season. Things will be picking up. We briefly mentioned the sign and trade stuff. Where are we at? We're at Zion, Brad Beal. There's like a lot. I said this. There's a lot percolating, and that's going to help the Suns at least. Like we we threw out a bunch of two-way trades. Three-way trades always present like opportunities for a team being like hey i'll help this go through can i make a grand proclamation like hot take style mm-hmm. this is going to be the craziest offseason in nba history uh it might it might be either either everything is going to happen or nothing's going to happen yeah can i do a quick exercise before we go sure because i made the big declarative point i just don't want to end on it and leave people being like because i think when people make those takes you're like can you please explain it boston they could trade jalen brown mm-hmm. brooklyn They've got a bunch of guys to still figure out. Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, I don't know. The Knicks, they're trying to get a star to put next to Jalen Brunson. Philadelphia, James Harden, what's going on there? Is he going back to Houston? Toronto, Fred Van Vliet's gone. Are they going to trade Siakam? Are they going to start the rebuild? I don't know. Denver, they're just really good. Is Minnesota really going to run it back with Cat and Gobert after what just happened (laughs) last year? Are they really going to do that? OKC, we're excited to see what it turns into. Can they add another guy? Do they kind of look for their Jay Crowder, Chris Paul type addition? I don't really know. Do they go a year earlier than they expected? Portland, Dame, I mean, that's a story every day, basically, until he's not there anymore, retired. Utah, they've got Sexton, Clarkson. What are they They going to do? Are they going to try and be good? Are they going to just rebuild still with the picks? Chicago is hardly getting (laughs) talked about, and it's like, DeRozan, Vucevic? I went to Chicago. Levine? I spent time with Bulls fans. They're very confused and <laughs> think they're in this weird gray area. That's sad. Cleveland is the first team I can get to where I can kind of just shrug past and move on. I feel like we we know they have to add the fifth guy, but how do they get the fifth guy? Do they think it's Karis LeVert still? I don't know. Detroit? They've got a lot of cap space. Are they going to make a Cam Johnson play? What are they going to do exactly? Indiana in a similar ish position where it feels like they've got some movable stuff and they accidentally could start to got try good and be a little. Is, uh, hey, hey, Kev, Is what's going on with Chris Middleton in oh. Milwaukee? Knees doesn't work. Oh, well, I was well, gonna are say. they going to trade him? I don't think they can. Hey, hey, Kev, huh. is Draymond Green going to be on the Warriors next year? Kendrick Perkins said he'll go and fit with the. What do the Clippers do with Kawhi Leonard <laughs> and Paul George? Do they work knees again? Oh, yeah. The Los Angeles Lakers who always do something. They're there. We've talked about the Phoenix Suns for 45 minutes already. They're pretty interesting. The Kings are getting reportedly linked to Brad Beal when they literally have no way of getting Brad Beal and the reporter who reported it acknowledge that there's no real way that it could work. But hey, we're there. The Hawks, John Collins, perpetually till the (laughs) end of time. But also there's always Trey Young stuff. There's always Trey Young stuff. Charlotte, are they going to really draft Brandon Miller after what's going on there? Miami, are they finally going to get the 
the other star, Orlando, well, that's the second team I can actually pass by (laughs) so far. I think like the third one or like ah, whatever. Washington, the Brad Beal stuff. Kevin, you're not going to believe this. But the team that traded for Kyrie Irving has some offseason questions ahead for them. Yeah. That's the Dallas Mavericks. Are the Houston Rockets going to get James Harden? Hey, is 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 John Morant going to get suspended for the entire year with the Memphis Grizzlies, Kevin? What's going on with Zion in New Orleans right now? Are you now? looking at a list of teams? The Spurs are adding Victor Wembanyama, one of the best. Kevin, it's going to be the craziest offseason of the year. Yeah. I just did it. There were like four teams where we were like, ah, whatever. <laughs> 26 other teams where we're like, what are they going to do? What's Who's happening? the most boring static team other than Nuggets should probably be boring and static, but. They just want a championship. I think Orlando, I guess. But they're like a really fun up and coming team, but they just can't really do anything. You don't think they're fun and up, up and coming? I just don't care. Uh, wow. You made a very I don't care face to me. That's why I reacted like that for podcast listeners. Craziest offseason of all time. Yeah. I don't know what the other craziest offseasons of all time. Probably the decision has to be. That offseason was kind of crazy. Timofey Mozgov, Jan Mahimni season. Uh, that was kind of crazy, but for different sure reasons. Was. But I think this is going to be bananas. It yeah. feels like everyone's got something to do, like big. All right, we'll see how much of it happens next week. We'll see you then.